The name of the sermon today is called what? Super Mommy. Super Mommy. That's exactly right. Super Mommy. Now, before we get into the sermon, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, a few months ago, I came across a video series, and it was actually made in England. It was made by some young adults who wanted to really share the principles about the Sabbath. And so what they did is they came up with this video series called The Sabbath Couch. And they take this white couch, as you can see in that picture, and they place it in various, you know, locations, and they talk about wonderful principles about the Sabbath. And so what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, you're going to be watching, they're just about one to two minutes long, uh, just this wonderful presentation about the way you can honor God and grow in your relationship with God uh, when it comes to the Sabbath. All right. Welcome to another Sabbath Sofa Challenge. We have a very exciting weekend ahead of us, Anna. Yes, on Sunday, it's going to be Mother's Day here in the UK. And here we have a special guest, Karen, who is about to be a new mommy again, maybe even on Mother's Day. So we want to honor you and say congratulations and thank you for being a congratulations. great mother. Congratulations. So, this Sabbath, we would like you to honor the mothers in your life and let them know that they are very special to you. So whether it's a bouquet of flowers or a home-cooked meal, tell your mom you love her. And remember, you're not a machine. Experience the Sabbath. Just a short clip, and we're going to be showing it every Sabbath right before church service starts. And again, it's just about the wonderful principles of the Sabbath laid out in the Bible. Amen? God wants us to grow in our relationship with Him. And it's very important we understand more and more what the Bible is teaching about these things. I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, more than ever before in this stressful world, people are desiring the seventh-day Sabbath. Amen? Amen. All right, as we talked about this a little bit earlier... This weekend is what? Oh, yeah, you guys sound excited about that. Mother's Day. All right. How many mothers do we have here? Raise your hand. All right. Wonderful. Many different mothers here. Well, I was actually online about a few days ago, and I found this uh, survey that was done by children regarding their mothers. All right. You ready for this one? All right. These were questions that were asked, several children, and it was questions about their moms. All right. Let me pull up the first one right here. Okay. Here it is. Why did God make mothers? Here are the responses. She's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. Number two, think about it. It was the best way to get more people. Number three, mostly to clean the house. Number four, to help us out where, uh, help us out there when we were getting born. Number two, how did God make mothers? He used dirt, just like for the rest of us. Number two, magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. God made my mom just like me. He just used bigger parts. Here's another question. Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? Number one, we are related. <laughs> Number two, God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's mom like me. All right, here's another question. What ingredients are moms made out of? God makes mother at, mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. Okay. <laughs> 
This is children. Okay. They had to get their start from men's bones. Then they mostly used string, I think. Okay, here's another question. What kind of little girl was your mom? My mom has always been my mom and none of that other stuff. I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. They say she used to be nice. All right. Here's one. How did your mom meet your dad? Mom was walking in the store and dad was shoplifting. Here's another question, or the same question, how did your mom meet your dad? He was walking down the street and my mom picked him up in a car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did mom need to know about dad before she married him? His last name. She had to know his background, like is he a crook? Does he make at least $800 a year? And does he say no to drugs and yes to chores? Why did your mom marry your dad? My dad makes the best spaghetti in the world, and my mom eats a lot. <laughs> she got too old to do anything else with him. And number three, my grandma says my mom didn't have her thinking cap on. Okay, who's the boss at your house? Mom doesn't want to be boss, but she has to because dad is such a goofball. Number two, mom. You can tell by room inspection. She sees the stuff under the bed. Okay? What's the difference between moms and dads? Moms work at work and work at home, and dads just work at work. Moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. Dads are taller and stronger, but moms have all the real power because that's who you have to ask if you just want to sleep over at your friend's house. Okay, what does your mom do in her spare time? Moms do not have spare time. <laughs> to hear her tell it, she pays bills all days long. What's the difference between moms and grandma? About 30 years. You can always count on grandmas for candy. Sometimes moms don't even have bread on them. Describe the world's greatest mom. <laughs> she would be able to make broccoli taste like ice cream. The, the greatest mom in the world wouldn't make me kiss my aunts. She'd always be smiling and keep her opinions to herself. Is there anything about your mom that's perfect? Her teeth are perfect, but she bought them from the dentist. Her casserole recipes, but we hate them. Just her children. Okay. What would it take to make your mom perfect? On the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, I think some kind of plastic surgery. Diet, you know her hair, I diet, maybe blue. If you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? She has this weird thing about me keeping my room clean. I'd get rid of that. I'd make my mom smarter, then she would know how my sister did it and not me. So this was an actual survey done by little children. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think about mothers, I know this is a little bit light, but when you think about mothers, there's so many perspectives about what mothers actually do. Sometimes they're architects, sometimes they're zookeepers. Mothers do just about everything in this world. Amen? And it's very remarkable when you think about the gift that God has given to us in the form of mothers. Parents, mothers especially, form the great backbone of society. 
And those who attempt to alter what God has given to mankind oftentimes will find that they are breaking laws, not just spiritual laws, not just social laws, but even biological laws. And when those laws are broken, there are consequences. God wants us to understand that mothers are a very, very special gift from God. And they're part of the glue that holds our society together. The Bible talks a lot about mothers. And oftentimes during Mother's Day weekend, it can really invoke a lot of emotion. Especially if your mom, you feel, wasn't that great of a mom. But here's the thing. Even where those who have gone before us have made mistakes, God wants us to live in the present. Amen? And he wants us also to be aware of what the future holds. And understanding what the Bible is teaching, we can find the answers and we can find what God wants for mothers of today. Amen? Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be looking a lot at what the scriptures say about mother. Take a good look, though, what Adventist home says about mothers right here. The king upon his throne, notice this, has no higher work than the mother. The king upon his throne has no higher work than his mother. The mother is queen of her household. She has in her power the molding of her children's characters that they may be fitted for the higher immortal life. Now notice this, an angel could not ask for a higher mission. For in doing this work, she is doing her service for God. Let her only realize the high character of her task, and it will inspire her with courage. Amen? And this is what we want this Sabbath message to be about, that you would walk away inspired, challenged, and decided in your heart that you want to honor God in the way that you are a mother, or you have a mother. Amen? Or you're going to be a mother. Or, you know, you may know somebody else who is. God wants us to honor mothers. And I think especially now, if there's ever a time that we need to not re, um, redefine the role of a mother, but rather rediscover the role of a mother in the Bible, it is now. It is now. What we're going to be looking at in the scriptures are three super mommies. Three super mommies in the Bible. In other words, these are awesome pictures of moms in Scripture. Awesome pictures of mom in Scripture. All right, the first picture we're going to be looking at in the Bible regarding a mom is the woman Hannah. The woman Hannah. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to 1 Samuel. And you need to be in 1 Samuel. I know we show a little bit of the scripture here, but I also want you in the Bible because we're going to be looking at another text regarding Hannah. Hannah. Hannah was a very interesting woman. She was married to another man by the name of Elkanah. And this individual had another wife. And his other wife actually was able to have multiple children, but Hannah had no children. But there was something unusual about Hannah's experience. She was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of what? Prayer. This mother knew how to pray. Look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. Then she made a vow, now notice this, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and what? Remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now notice this. And no razor shall come upon his what? Head. 
Here Hannah is, she is praying not so much a deal with God, but one that's in faith. And in this prayer of faith, ladies and gentlemen, she is praying a special blessing upon uh, this child, if he was to be born, that he would be for God's glory. In fact, you take a good look at that last phrase she says right there, no razor shall come upon his head. She was actually quoting a line from Deuteronomy that had to do with the Nazarite vow. The Nazarites were a people who were dedicated especially to the work of God, to the worship of God. And here she is saying, God, if you will give me this one special blessing, she says, I will dedicate him to God. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, again. Look what the Bible says right there. Look at the very last part. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And sure enough, ladies and gentlemen, the child was born. And this child became the last of the judges in the book of, um, in the book of Exodus. Excuse me, the book of 1 Samuel. The last of the judges right before a king would take the throne. This individual would play a very pivotal role in preparing Israel for its new transition. But the wonderful thing about Hannah was that she prayed constantly. When you read 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 and 3, you find out there her prayers are mentioned. You find out she would dedicate Samuel to the Lord. Even afterwards, he would be lent to God and he would serve God at an early age and heard God's voice. She would never stop praying for her child. God wants us to understand something here, a very important lesson. Regardless of where the spirit, what your child's spiritual condition is, God does not want you to stop praying. I have heard tremendous stories, a tremendous amount of stories of children. As soon as they were born, they were hellions. But somehow later in life, they were transformed because of the prayers of a woman, his mother. But oftentimes, what is so remarkable is, by the time he actually changed, the mother was already dead. God took those prayers, and he never forgot any one of those prayers. But he remembered them. He was storing them away, and they were accumulating for the right moment. I was looking at the story of John Newton. Do you know who John Newton is? Who is John Newton? What song did he write? Amazing Grace. He wrote this song, beautiful song that has touched the hearts of millions of people, sung at funerals and other places. This is perhaps one of the, I would say, the most famous Christian song of all time. You ask people oftentimes, sometimes we'll be playing music, we'll go visit a senior care home, and uh, we'll come across people who may not never been in a church, and we'll say, we can sing some songs for you, and they'll scratch their head, and they'll say, how about Amazing Grace? Because everybody knows what Amazing Grace is all about. We've heard it everywhere. But John Newton was somebody who did not have a taste for God for a great part, period of his life. He did have a very godly mother who would pray for him constantly, and at the age of seven, she died. And John Newton, his dad was actually a, a ship captain. John Newton was actually, after a period of time, got himself involved in, um, you know, transporting slaves. And he became this despot. And in the middle of the storm, one day as he was crossing the sea, 
he remembered the prayers of his mother. And he began to recall that, and he began to open up the Bible. And he wrote in his autobiography, I never forgot the way my mom used to pray for me. We have amazing grace today because of a woman who never stopped praying for her son until the day she died. Even at the age of six to seven years old. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to understand one thing, and that is this. We should never, ever stop praying for our children. And like Hannah, this wonderful mother of God, we should be praying for them. We should be praying for their future. We should be praying for the things that they're going to encounter in life. I have seen many of a responsible Christian men and women who were praying for their children's future spouses because they understood they understood the great catalyst marriage would bring in their lives. And even when the child was just a child, the parents were already praying for the future of this, uh, their future spouse. We need to be praying for the future of our children, amen? Because the devil is laying out many a snares for them. Many a snares. As I said to you earlier in a previous sermon, when you study the people who existed before the flood, and God destroyed the antediluvians. The Bible says every thought of their heart was wickedness continually. What is so interesting is the Bible actually points out two transgressions. One transgression was the one where God had to wipe out the, the people who lived at the time of the flood. But he points out another transgression that existed right before those people existed. And that was the descendants of Seth when they went into the descendants of Cain. They produced, their offspring produced as children that were apparently who grew up to become very wicked upon the earth. And so the Bible's pointing out that these children, or excuse me, that the, these godly people were marrying into the world when they should have been kept from the world. And this offspring grew up very, who had this skewed picture of who God was. Just think about this, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a, somewhat of a complete picture of God right here, and you have, all of a sudden, this worldly perspective. And if you were to combine those two, you know what would begin to take place? You would find an overlapping of the picture of God. And sometimes the most beautiful, tender characteristics of God are hidden because of this union. And now you have this view of God that is so wicked and evil, and it was never meant to be. And that's why it's extremely important. Like Hannah, you need to be praying for the child. I want to challenge every mother here and also every father here and every future mother here to be praying for the future of their children. In fact, what is also so beautiful about this story is Hannah, who after many years finally had one child, okay? You know what she did with this one child that she did not have for many years that she wanted with her whole heart? She gave him back to God. In other words, she had that gift for only so many years. But you know what is so beautiful about this story? Go all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now look at verse 21. It's beautiful. This is so beautiful. This woman who's given one gift by God gives the gift right back to God and do you know what God does in response? Look at verse 21. Are we all there? And the Lord visited Hannah, notice this, so that she conceived and bore what? Three sons and what? Two daughters 
And meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. No, notice this. Here she is. She's given one gift of God, and she says, God, you've given me this great gift, and I'm going to keep him for a few years, raise him up according to your ways, and then I'm going to give him right back to you and where he would be lent to the Lord and serve the Lord. And do you know what God did in response to that? He gave her five more children. You can't outgive God. Amen? You can't outgive God. And in this example of a godly praying mother, she understood, she possessed the spirit of Christ. But here's the thing there is another super mommy in the Bible. Another woman who the Bible exposes us to. We're going to fast forward. We're going to go to the story in the New Testament. Take your Bible and we're going to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. We're going to learn something very interesting about Timothy. The Bible says all sorts of things about Timothy. He was Paul's protege. He was somebody who took care of Paul, who assisted Paul in many of his journeys. And Paul loved him like a son. The Bible says Paul would call him his spiritual father. But there is a very interesting dynamic of Timothy's life. The book of Acts tells us his mother was a Jew who believed and the father was a Greek. In other words, Timothy came from a spiritually divided home. And that's why Paul said, I'll be a spiritual mentor to you. But Paul begins to say something about Timothy's background. Take your Bible and go all the way. Look what it says in verses 1 through 5. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, who, by the way, was timid about a lot of things. Look what he says right here, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in who? You, which dwelt first. Now notice this, in your what? Grandmother Lois and your mother what? Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Do you know what Paul is saying right here? I'm about to tell you something. Really earth-shaking right here. Your faith will be inherited by your children. Your faith is going to be in your children. And here, here Paul is speaking to Timothy right here, and he's saying, look, Timothy, he's like, I know about the faith of your grandma. I know about the faith of your mother. And he says, I believe that same faith is in you. You know what's so interesting? Take a good look at that word right there. That's bold right there. It says genuine faith. The Greek word is anuprotos, which means without hypocrisy. Without what? Hypocrisy. Do you know what a hypocrite is? It's people who go to church, amen? It's the pastor, right? It's the Sabbath school teacher. We're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. But the difference is we know and we confess that we are. And we have a God who loves us and is willing to forgive us, right? But the Bible says something so unique about this. It's saying something wonderful about the faith that was in the grandmother and the mother of Timothy. Here they were, they would take care of this child and they would have a balanced life. Now normally we think of hypocrisy like this. You're a Christian outwardly, and then when no one is looking, you're doing secret evil things over here. And we sort of kept the term there. But hypocrisy actually has a wider meaning as well. Hypocrisy also refers to an imbalance of the law. 
In other words, you got one section over here where you're so adamant about this, but over here, you're completely loose like it's nothing. And so hypocrisy also extends to that as well. You know what's so interesting? There's this wonderful encounter found in the spirit of prophecy where this, this, uh, this um, bishop was talking to this well-known uh, uh, lecturer who gained great crowds. And the bishop is saying, how is it that you can impress so many people in the way that you speak? And he says, our churches are empty. And the man says this, well, if you don't mind me saying, he says, we speak of things imaginary as if they were real, but you speak of things real as if they were imaginary. God wants us to have a consistent faith. You are going to pass that faith on to your children. And when you're gone, they're going to remember the dynamics of your faith and how you responded to who God was and how you interacted with God during your dark times and through your struggles. They're going to remember all those things, okay? And so when, even when you are gone and you are sleeping in the grave, they're going to remember the picture of God that you left. And your faith will become their faith in a whole new way. But it's also something very interesting right here I want you to pay attention to. Look what the Bible says right here. Same book, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul is speaking to young Timothy. Look what he says. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing that from whom you have learned from. Now notice this. And that from childhood you have known the what? Who was teaching the Holy Scriptures to young Timothy? Super mommy. Lois and Eunice. The tag team. And do you know what this wonderful duo was doing? They were teaching young Timothy the word of God. God never calls us to stuff the word of God down people's throats. Amen? Forced spirituality is completely contrary to anything found in the Bible. And that comes straight from the devil himself. God wants us to understand something, that the Word of God needs to become attractive to children. And the way you talk it out, and the way you live it out, is going to show whether or not you really believe in this book. And it's so remarkable. Here they are, these parents. Excuse me, the mother and the grandmother. The father, out of the picture. He wasn't interested, apparently. And what these two would do is they would teach young Timothy the scriptures. Now, what is so interesting, Timothy began to grow up, and he eventually became a pastor. He did other great things. He assisted Paul and was a great uh, picture, a great character in the Bible. Two epistles are written after this young man. But here he is, the parents right here, the mother and the grandmother. Paul hones in and he says, look, what you did, Timothy, what you possess came from your mother and grandmother. They taught you the Holy Scriptures ever since you were a young child. Are you ready for a rebuke right now from the pastor? That silence means, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, give it. Amen? You ready for this? You need to bring your children to Sabbath school. You may think, oh, I, I, I'm getting up late. Exactly. Bring them, not take them. Amen. You've got to bring your children to Sabbath school. And in Sabbath school, we have wonderful Sabbath school teachers here 
Some of them have been teachers in our Adventist schools. Others, very godly experience, and they're communicating to young children angles of God's goodness. And when you think to yourself, it's not that big of a deal. I don't get anything out of Sabbath school. It's not about you. It's about your children. And that's why it's of the utmost important that you make your children, not make, excuse me, take your children to Sabbath school. And they will love Sabbath school. I have a nephew and I have two nieces who live right across the street from my mom's house. And here they are. I come home to visit my mom, and they're playing around, and they're always learning new things. And I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, if these children ever went to Sabbath school, knowing what I know about them, they would absolutely love it. But you have that privilege. You have that special obligation from God. There is freedom for you to do these things. Those children aren't in a position where they can because of the, the particular religion of the family. But nothing could stop you. And God is calling us also, not just with Sabbath school. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a wonderful Adventist institution here. You wait till your children get into high school and you will discover just how bad it is. I grew up in public high schools, and one of the very first things you're inundated with is the fact that there is no such thing as real order, creation, and purpose to this world. And when your child comes home with these doubts and skepticism, don't be shocked and surprised. You need to take that step and you need to say, you know what, at the sacrifice of, of, of the boat or the special BMW we're going to get, we're going to make sure our children are in Adventist education. Doesn't guarantee 100% salvation. Not even the church can do that, amen? But it gives them the best chance of knowing Jesus, amen? And we have about 77 kids. Do you know from our church that go to that school? 77 kids. We need to go to 100. Amen? We're the biggest church in the area. We're pushy. Amen? We like to do things. When we put our mind to something, it happens. We ought to be a safe haven for young children. That they get educated and they learn about Jesus. They get to pray with, their, with these teachers and meet other children. Amen? Amen. All right, so here we are. We understand one thing. Number one, in that Hannah was a praying woman. Number two, we understand Lois and Eunice taught their children the scriptures. They planted the scriptures in young Timothy. But number three, there is another super mommy in scripture, one the Bible speaks very little, little about, but has this great effect that has changed the future of history. And that is the story of Jochebed, the mother of Moses. Look what the Bible says about this mother right here. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a what? A daughter of Levi, so the woman conceived and bore a what? Son, and when she saw he was a beautiful child, she hid him how many months? Three months. Now what is so beautiful about this story is, this woman, in the midst of danger and people who were being killed because of this, she took this child, she had such a great love, she hid him in a little ark, and this child was preserved providentially. Pharaoh's daughter was walking by one day. She sees the little ark, and she says, Oh, little 
little cute baby. And then Moses' sister, who happened to be there providentially as well, said, I know a Hebrew woman who could raise her for you, raise him for you, and when he is the right age, he can go back into the kingdom or the palace. And Pharaoh's daughter says, go for it. And sure enough, Moses' daughter, Moses' sister, takes that baby right back to Moses' mom and says, guess what? You're now going to be paid to take care of the child Moses. And for 12 years, she raised that child. What I begin to understand more and more about the way she raised that child is that, did you know that the first 12 years are going to be the most susceptible, formative years of that child? The first 12 years. I mean, you can tussle all you want with a teenager and you're going to probably lose half the time, right? And then try telling a 20-year-old what to do. Good luck. But when you have ages 1 through 12, it's like a field that God has given to you. And God wants you to plant as best as possible the Word of God to teach the children to love Jesus, to be respectful. And what you're going to discover is that those 12 years that form that child will never be forgotten, regardless of whatever things that were placed on top of that. Here in this particular story, Moses' mom raised Moses for 12 years, and finally at the age of 12, Moses went back into the palace of Egypt, being raised by Egyptian philosophy, Egyptian priests, Pharaoh himself, and all these other individuals who lived contrary to God, yet Moses was somebody who still never accepted Egyptian ideology. It was a struggle. In fact, the Bible says something very remarkable about this. Take your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is very interesting. Hebrews chapter 11 right here. Go all the way to verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11 starting with verse 23. Hebrews 11 verse 23. Page 1156. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right. Look what the Bible says about Moses. Look at this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden how many months? Three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not, what, afraid of the king's command. Now notice this. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's what? Do you know what that meant if he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter? He would be the next in line to take over Egypt. Now notice this. Look what he says next. Choosing rather to suffer what? Affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, this principle is super important right here. And that is this. It's not just about prayer. It's not just about teaching your children scripture. It's about teaching your children the great loyalty they must have to the people of God, to the church that God has set up. And here Moses was, 12 years, was taught there is a group of people who are your people. They're your people, and regardless of where you are at, Moses, you must never forget those people. And Moses, in time, eventually led those people out of slavery. Moses never forgot, and when he had the privilege of taking that worldly success that would be contrary to the principles of God, he quickly chose the principles of God. I'm going to ask you a question right now. Should you teach your children to be successful, yes or no? Should you teach your children to be successful? As long as it's appropriate, right? 
to have integrity and be successful in the world if possible, right? Absolutely 100% yes. Amen? However, that should always be subordinate to heavenly success. Are you listening to me? Worldly success should never take the place of heavenly success. And if you have to choose one, I hope and pray that the eternal salvation of your child will be of utmost importance. You know what's so interesting about this story right here? I think it's important that we understand this. It wasn't that Moses' mom just simply taught, hey, you want to make sure you get to heaven one day. She actually taught, you must never forget these people. We must teach our children to be loyal to the church, to the purpose of God. The main purpose of the church, ladies and gentlemen, is to preach the gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And they must be taught this, that you have a special duty from God. You know, oftentimes I'll ask kids, I'll be like this. All right, has your parents ever taught you the kind of person you should marry? And they'll be like, no. I'll be like, okay. Has your parents ever taught you how you should deal with money? Not really. And then I'll ask questions like this, and I'm shocked. I'm like, wait a minute, who's doing the teaching? It's this device right here. TV. That's doing the teaching for them. We all get sermons everywhere, right? It's just a matter of where. Either the church or the TV. God is calling us to rediscover the purpose of which, or the way we're teaching, teach our children. That is the purpose of God. And that is they are to be part of this very special movement that is preaching the gospel to the end of the time. I'm sure I'm going to be having kids, being Indian, kids who are doctors. I'm pretty sure about that. I'm sure I'm probably going to have kids who are going to do great things for God. And hopefully, amen, right? But the one thing I will place in front of them over and over again is that they must have a loyalty to the people of God. That they have a purpose they must never, ever forget. And if anything should hinder that purpose, they are to choose that purpose above all things, and that is they are to be part of the Seventh-day Adventist church, and they are to participate in giving the gospel to the entire world until Jesus comes back or until he takes their life away. And that is the one purpose above any other purpose. Everything else must be in submission to. All the other things. You must teach your children to be successful in the world. They should be successful in the world. You must teach them to do the best they can in appropriate lines of work. However, always with the meta perspective of, hey, don't forget, there is an overarching reason for your life. And that is... You are to be leading the people of God and being part of the people of God going back to heaven one day. Amen? This is what God is calling mothers to be a part of, to participate in, to teach your children, not just by your words, but by your actions, to be prayerful for them, to teach them the scriptures. And I want to challenge you, if you feel like, I don't know how to teach them the scriptures, every time I do, they just, 
side. God will show you the way to their heart. I never forgot when I used to work in Arroyo Grande, there was this house that was up on this mountain. And there seemed to be no road that would lead to the top of this house or to where this house was on this mountain. And I would drive by it for miles or for many, um, for many months and I always think to myself, there's got to be a road to that mountain. But when I look, there seemed to be no road to that mountain. Finally, one day I said, I'm going to keep driving until I find that road. I found the road, and it was a back road that was leading up to the back where you could not see from the front picture. And God taught me at that very moment, there is always a road to every person's heart. It just not be, may not be the direction you're looking at. Amen? Amen. Heard a wonderful story. A wonderful story of a woman and her husband. And they had three children, a daughter, two sons. They lived on the coast of Maine. And they were a fisherman family. And this fisherman family didn't make a lot of money. And one day when bills were due, past due, they recognized they need to go out and go fishing. However, there was, they were told storms are coming. And so what the father did with one of his sons, said, we're going to go out and we're going to try to go fishing. Bills are due. We're going to lose everything in a couple days. We need to try. And so they got into this boat and they went out. And all of a sudden, this storm began to quickly move in fast. And they were being tossed and it was just dark. And the mother who was watching from her house recognized what was happening. She didn't see the boat, but she saw the storm. And she knew they were somewhere in the midst of that storm. So she took this giant light, this great lantern, and she put it up on the top of the second story part of her house. And her son, who was not a believer, said, Mom, why are you even doing this? They can't see this. It's too far away. And she says, maybe. But if they just see one glimmer, one speck of light, they will find a way back. And what happens was this man and his son, as they were being tossed to and fro, they saw that glimmer of light, and it would go in and out because of the clouds and the rain that would move in. And the son said, Father, we need to head towards that direction. And they continued to head in that direction, being lost out in sea. But they finally made it home. Why? Because of a faithful mother who kept that lamp lit for her family. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling mothers everywhere to keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Amen? To make sure there's always enough oil, not just for yourself, but for your whole family, in prayers, in leading your children to understand what heaven is all about, to give them purpose, that they are living at perhaps the most crucial, vital moment in all of history, the end of time. God is challenging mothers. But this point is important to bear as we're closing, and that is this. The one thing mothers struggle with is that is, it's this, and that is, I have made many mistakes with my children. 
I am not the best mother. Ladies and gentlemen, in the scripture, there never was a perfect mother. Hannah wasn't perfect. Jacobed wasn't perfect. Timothy's mother and grandmother weren't perfect. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, scolded him inappropriately one day. The Bible is teaching us that imperfect people who turn to God will find blessing for their household. Amen? Take hope, mothers of Israel. God wants to bless you. And for everybody else, appreciate what your mother has done for you. And if you don't have a good mother, she's not alive anymore. Praise God for the memories that are still good. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who has given us many different gifts. And there's so much to think about, Lord, and so much instructions. And I know mothers are doing so many different things already. But God, we pray that they would know that all of heaven loves them, that they would feel strengthened in their duty to lead their children, their family to heaven. Father in heaven, that they would be wonderful examples to this world and Lord to those who are burdened and feel like they're alone uh, may they know Lord that you are their husband that you are watching over them thank you God in Jesus name we pray amen this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.